Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. You've got to hear about this great conference that PR Daily is doing May 11th in New York City. Uh, It's the Media Relations and Measurement Conference, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hosting a couple of panels. We're going to talk about what's happening, what's landing in the newsroom, what's, you know, what's making it in the the paper, all that cool stuff. So find more information about this great conference May 11th in person, yay, uh, online at prdaily.com or hit me up at lisa at fridayreporter.com. Thanks, guys. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's episode is with James Barrett, who is a freelance travel and lifestyle journalist, but also the founder of a great new newsletter called Jimmy Rocks. Um, And we'll talk more about that. But James, I'm just so glad to have you here with me today on the episode. And this week, we get to meet in New York for the big PR daily media relations conference. And that is even more exciting to me. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And definitely looking forward to meeting in person in New York too. Uh, well, and I think I think the one thing that we're all sort of grateful for is that um, the weather is starting to warm up. The prospect of getting out into the world is sort of starting to happen. I cannot wait to hear all about what you do in your space because you are traveling and you are you're out in the world and you're doing this great stuff but tell me James before we get started because you've had bylines in lots of publications that folks that listen to this podcast will recognize tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started yeah so how I got into freelance writing I it I don't know if it could be duplicated. I honestly didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> um, I I went to school. I went to Syracuse University mm-hmm. for communications design, where I worked as an art director in advertising for six years in Manhattan. Yeah. And while doing that, um, I actually, my first byline was on the Huffington Post because my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. I was very determined to write something because I felt like, was what I was experiencing with her. We were very close mm. growing up. Yeah, I just like wasn't seeing. So I spent like two months. I would solely write on the train, and I submitted to Huffington Post, and then it got published in 2015. And long story short, it just sort of snowballed wow, into. That's great. Yeah, my first press trip was actually with like Nick Walenda, who is a daredevil, and he was helping elderly people like check things off their bucket list. So I guess they came across my story. Wow! And like from the there, flying Walendas, wasn't that isn't that a yeah. thing? Uh huh. Yeah, he like walked across the Grand Canyon on road. What? Yeah. <laughs> so from there, it just has sort of snowballed, and then once I was getting on more bylines. You know, I really do think my advertising backgrounds helped me, even though it's pictures versus words. It's storytelling mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten onto more publications, I've been able to really hone in on what I'm passionate about writing about. Yes. So a lot of it has fallen into travel and lifestyle and things from personal essays to interviews to reviewing products that can help you with your everyday life. I ran my first marathon in November, so I did a lot of stuff. Congratulations. With- yeah, thank you. I did a lot of stuff with um with running like Normatics and Theragun. And yeah, you need I, you need all of those tools when you run a marathon. <laughs> I've only I've only run two and it was a long time ago, but boy, you need all of the all of the tricks that you can to try to just make yeah. it through. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a couple mental breakdowns before the big race day. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> 
Definitely. That's so cool. So, um, and I, so, you know, as I prep for the podcast, I always make sure that I read and check in on the journalists that I'm going to speak with, because I want to get a flavor for what it is you're interested in the kinds of work that you do. Um, so, but you have some, I mean, the concepts are fun. Like when I read it, I'm like, yes, I'm getting advice from a friend. And we had never, we'd never talked other than on email before we got onto the call today. And like, I felt like you were giving us advice, like, you know, not only like self-care products, but also like some really great travel. Um, and so what, how, you started this newsletter, this great newsletter that has really good content, but you started really sort of doing this just prior to the pandemic. Talk to me a little bit about how that changed your world and how did you keep going when we were all kind of locked in? Yeah, the timing really worked out in a way for me because I left my full-time job about six months before mm -hmm. the pandemic hit, before lockdown happened. And in those six months, I went on like eight trips. I went like to the Bahamas, to Wales, Israel, and it helped get my foot in the door for a lot of publications. But I also was able to meet a lot of journalists for someone that hasn't had any experience full time yeah. in the editorial realm. Mm -hmm. So then when lockdown hit, you know, like covered a bit more entertainment, but honestly was writing a lot probably like more than 10 stories a month. Wow. And I was one of those who didn't leave my house. I didn't go anywhere for a whole year until I was back home. So I didn't want to get my family sick. Yeah. So I didn't go anywhere until I was vaccinated. So that was what, a year ago, last May? Yeah. Yep. And since then, it's just sort of like it never left. Like I was always worried about losing momentum as a freelance journalist. We depend a lot on it. Mm -hmm. But I've been probably on like 10, 15 trips in that year. And I'm honestly pretty booked up for the rest of this year. That's so awesome. And yeah, thank you. And like, we were talking offline, like, I've never left the country until I was 27. And I'm 31 now. And I think there's such a way with people wanting to know how to plan a trip and having nowhere to start. Like, you see all these amazing shots on Instagram, but like, these influencers and these people, like, they don't, it's not attainable. Like, it's, they don't tell you, like, how to get there, how much it's going to be, like, what you should know about it. It's just all about that, like, money shot for them. And that, yeah. in reality, we all know that's not the main point of traveling. Mm -mm. Or it, or if, if that's the only source that you get information from, then you feel as if travel is really out of reach because if that's the only way to get there, to spend all, you know, as what some of these other influencers are sharing, it's just, it's just not realistic. Um, and so that's what I felt like. And, and true confession, it looks like maybe your last trip was to Dublin. I know that my last trip was also to Dublin, not much before when you were there too. Um, no great, way. Yeah. Great city. <laughs> Such a great city. Um, Guinness, that was my dream trip because Guinness is my favorite beer. Awesome. And people. Yeah. I'm, I can drink it like water. I know most people <laughs> think it's like a big chocolate milkshake, but it's actually, I think really it's proven stuff. to be very good for recovery from those big runs that I think you were probably doing too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, so I, but I, so I'd seen that I'd seen some of the coverage that you'd done about your trip to Dublin and recognized some of those spaces. Cause that was where I had done my last trip before the lockdown happened. Um, but so tell me a little bit about, so since you've been vaccinated, you've been, um, you've been on the road and you've been traveling, um, but you've also, over the last six months, you've built this great new newsletter. Tell me a little bit about Jimmy Rocks and what 
the what the concept was behind that and 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 how it is that's coming together for you yeah it's funny because a year ago i would have never thought i would have done a newsletter and then one day you just sort of realize i just sort of realized like i had all the pieces to do it so jimmy rocks is my newsletter i started it in september 2021 Mm. and i define it as honest travel and shower thoughts Mm -hmm. and honest travel like I never want to tell someone, even when I review products, I don't like telling someone what to get because we have different interests. So I just try to be as honest as possible about my experience with it. Mm-hmm. And if it's something for you, awesome. And if not, that's cool too. Yeah. So honest travel, I sort of set up these itineraries in a way that are like a choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. almost like a cheat sheet. So it's not like eight pages long, but it has a lot of links about like, where to eat, what to stay, what where to stay, what to do, and with just kind of like notes. And it's funny you say that about like my writing style because a lot of people, when they talk about the newsletter, they say it's like I'm hearing from a friend because uh-huh. a lot of people say I write the way I talk uh-huh. and I'm not trying to be like the most grammatically correct or the most like, I don't know, like I'm not taking an English class. Right, right. It's probably not going to fall under AP style, but it would fall under like a very consumable style. That's how I felt like when I when I was reading through some of the work that you've done. It's really consumable and it's really relatable. And it also, you've got it formatted in a way that keeps my attention. Like I don't want to turn away and say, okay, I'm on to the next thing, which happens all the time to all of us. Um, so yeah. anyway, not to interrupt, but that I do feel like it's it's like we're getting advice from you. Right. Definitely. Because I, the pillars of my newsletter, I define it as authenticity, trust, and personality. And I think while, yes, I do still write for big publications, this has really given me the freedom to show who I am and what my voice is, Mm -hmm. is because a lot of readers forget, like when we write for big publications like Cosmo, Country Living, Pop Sugar, we're writing in that brand's voice. Like we're almost taking a brief. So this is just like I'm I get to build my brand and Mm -hmm. after writing for a lot of different types of publications for different audiences and seeing different places in the last two years year and a half like I get to really understand like what people want what people are craving because travel for example I think we all realize during you know the last two years in the pandemic is that there's a lot of beautiful things to see in our own country like you don't need to fly to Thailand, fly to Australia to have an amazing big trip. Mm-hmm. So uncovering some of those hidden gems have, has definitely been a strong suit of the newsletter. And then it's funny because I incorporated shower thoughts as a way for like, they say your deepest thoughts happen in the shower. Oh, because I was going to ask, okay, what is a shower thought? All right. So deep yeah, thoughts. It's yeah, it's not okay. anything dirty. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it's just sort of these things that I think about that aren't really like made for SEO or like trends. Like I did a recent one that did really well about does everyone have imposter syndrome and like that whole concept. Yeah. And then I've done a little more serious like uh, things on grief. And then, but it's really funny because the shower thoughts are the ones that do the best. Like I, I mean, they've all been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. I've had like strong open rates and we've grown to like 2,300 subscribers now. And I send it out once a week and it's completely free, but it's just been fun because I initially wanted to loop in shower thoughts because I didn't want to pigeonhole myself in 
just travel. Just travel. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also, this is, these are, and you say lifestyle, your lifestyle. Um, and that makes sense to me, like travel and lifestyle really that gels and sort of to me makes the best sense for, for what I was reading as I was consuming the, the great content that you're putting out there. Do you think, um, so the newsletter, so that's huge. 2,300 subscribers is so big and it's so much. And for those of us who are, um, for lack of a better way to put it homegrown and just sort of doing this on our own and working through it, that is so tremendously impressive. I also noticed too, that you have a, your open rate on the newsletter is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45%, which is like crazy, fantastic, good. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, surprise. I mean, and for people who don't, because you know, I often give those um, those metrics because communicators, obviously, we're always about like on the PR side, we're always trying to um, justify the work we're doing or justify to the client how valuable the information is that they're getting put out there. And I know that an open rate is way lower than 45%. People think, oh, that doesn't sound very high. But the truth of it is, is that it's much, much lower in re the real world. So that is really impressive, which means that you probably are using some tricks, from my perspective, that are getting people to open uh, that newsletter to read more. Do you have tips? Do you have like insight? Are there, what can you share with folks that you think, um, makes your audience that much more interested in, in opening the newsletter and finding out more. Yeah. I think something to note, even if it's like, if you're promoting stuff on your social media too, cause every week I'll share what the theme is on my Instagram, mm -hmm. but like I gatekeep it. Right. I want a newsletter. I want subscribers. I don't want to build a business that's embedded in an algorithm that's constantly changing and like could be gone tomorrow. That's so smart. Mm -hmm. So uh, besides doing that, subject lines are really important. I'm sort of learning that asking a question in the subject line is very compelling. Huh. So like for the imposter syndrome one, that subject line was, does everyone have imposter syndrome? So for example, I'm asking a question, but then I'm also asking if you have something. I'm making an assumption, yeah. which if this, like the thing is that I've learned is that writing newsletters is much different than writing for an online publication Yeah. because accusing someone, not accusing, but asking someone if they have something like that would never fly. Things are much more PC where like I curse in my newsletter, like I'm allowed to just like have fun. There's really no rules. And mm -hmm. I think... I've been staying consistent with that and I think people like it. And I also think I have, I don't send the same thing out every week. So on the, my back end, I have maybe like four to six different formats of newsletters that I'll send. So oh, like smart. each week, yeah. So each week isn't just like an itinerary, right? So like this week I'm doing something on White Sands National Park in New Mexico. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's not. very... It's really dreamy. It doesn't even look like it's in America. It's actually, putting it on my list. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's not too hard to get to, but I think, for example, I'm going to title that one: "Is this the trippiest national park in the U.S.?" Mm. So, for someone that's getting that in their inbox, I think they're going to want to know what national park I'm talking about. Yeah, versus just saying you need to visit White Sands National Park, or like I never, never used best of that is so outdone and just like it doesn't make sense like what makes something better than another thing yes 
Yes. I mean, especially if we're talking national parks, like they're all so different. Uh-huh. Um, that makes so much sense. And and also it makes me want to open your, your note. Like, I mean, it makes me want to open that email. Like what is, even if I'm just there for a moment, like what is it, what is James talking about? Where is it? Do I have to go there? Right. I mean, so that's very interesting. That's good advice yeah. though. Really good advice. It's hard to, to think about subject lines in that way. Um, and also to sort of keep people paying attention. You mentioned that it's different in the newsletter than it is for the the content that you share for these online publications. I'm curious, do you write, uh, do you have a specific like agreement with these different publications or do you write and then pitch the stories that you um, are, are sharing in these with these other publications? Um, I don't have any contracts. I'll just, when I write for online publications, I just pitch them on like a okay. pitch by pitch yeah. basis. Yeah. But it is interesting. Well, cause it's actually, I don't know if you would want to include this part, mm-hmm. but like if I were to write something for my newsletter, I technically own it. Whereas like if I wrote an article, let's say for a big publication, like two years ago, mm-hmm. I technically don't own that. So oh. like, I don't think I could use it for my newsletter. Couldn't use but, it like, again. But like if it's vice versa. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, I haven't had a lot of overlap with that. Yeah. No, but that's so interesting. And I never would have thought about it that way. Um, and actually, I mean, it's, I think it's super relevant to the audience. I think the audience would want to, will want to know that because that's the kind of thing that you don't really think about if you write something and share it um, or write it for them. It's your byline, but it's, it's theirs. Once it's there, they own it. That right. makes and a lot of sense. That's the catch uh-huh. for someone that's a freelance journalist because they're, you're like, hey, you're going to get this byline. And it's going to look really good. But then in reality, you don't own any of your work. Yeah. Which is smart, which is why now you've got this great newsletter that comes out once a week. Tell me about the timing. Like, do you, is there a specific time of day, specific time of week? Um, how do you, how do you work? How's your, what's your production process like? I send my newsletter out every Friday, uh-huh. usually around noon. Uh-huh. And I personally came up with this because I feel like you get a lot of people to open it as the week's ending, but then you Mm -hmm. also get a good amount of people that open it on Monday. So yeah, it can, your rate, your like open rate for that one continues to grow. Interesting. But as far as the process goes, like when I went to start to make a newsletter, I wanted to make sure two things that first of all, it wasn't just a bunch of rejected pitches, which it's not. Oh, smart. Yeah. And then B like, do I actually have enough to say? Because Mm -hmm. it's one thing to find an article online or Instagram and click through it and be done with it, read a headline. But to get someone to want to open your email, like you really can't have any BS in it. Like people are going to know if they're fluffing you. Mm -hmm. So I, I really thought through it. And like, I really liked when you said that it keeps your interest and they're not too long Mm -hmm. because I put a lot of thought into how much is said. Whereas like sometimes when you're writing an article for an online publication, it needs to be a certain amount of words and you need to preface things. But for this kind of stuff, it doesn't need to be any amount of words. Uh, It's funny because the shower thoughts have really pushed me to experiment with like what my audience likes. So a few months ago, it's been really fun. A few months ago I did 
30 things I know at 30 and they were literally just antidotes, like (laughs) no write-ups, just like 30 (laughs) headlines. And I do this a lot with some of my work, but after I write it, I'm like, do I even want to send this out? (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of funny because that newsletter, for example, had like the most responses I've ever gotten. Isn't that funny? Yeah. How about that? So you just have to believe in yourself, you know? (laughs) Well, no, but that's so, but I, and I love that. The authentic, authenticity piece is, so I do media training and I, I train a lot of people just in terms of like public speaking and these other things. And that's the one thing that I coach over and over is that you have to find your real voice. Like that's what people are asking for. That's what people want. They want to know y- you. Um, and that's, it comes through James so much in, in what you're writing in all of it. I mean, not only for the, the long form online stuff, but in the newsletter too, like everything that you're writing, I know that I'm getting what you like. And I, I and I'm also hearing about what maybe you don't think people should spend their time on. Um, and I love that because that's so good. And it's also, you're right. You have to trust yourself because instinctually, you know, you are a guy who travels way more than me. I definitely want to know about White Sands. I mean, I want to know about all of these other things. Um, and that's, I think, what's so smart about how you're, this is, I mean, these all seem so, to me, they seem so instinctual and so smart, but they also just make tremendous sense in terms of like getting people to connect and, and hear more about um, about what you're doing. How do you how do you build that list? Is it by word of mouth? Do you do some advertising for it? How do you get that list to to grow? So great question. And I appreciate everything you just said because I spend a lot of time trying to like to find the voice because this travel space, it's so saturated. It is. And I know like I would say I guess some of my competition would be like influencers, right? Yeah. And because I think a big part of this is there's a lot of personality in it mm-hmm. and you don't really get that with a lot of brands. I mean, brands obviously have their voice, but it's not as authentic and personable where it like feels like you're hearing from a friend. But I don't, but, and, and I didn't get an influencer kind of like, cause the influencer thing, I, maybe I'm just a little bit older. I don't know. There are people that still influence me, but sometimes it feels a little icky to me. It feels, I feel like I'm being a little sold <laughs> and I guess that's what it is. I mean, you really are. But I didn't get that. I didn't get that sense. I, in fact, I had I laughed. I mean, I felt like your stuff was actually funny. And beca- it's probably because you're saying it in your voice. You're saying it how you would say it to a friend. It's it's really good. So not to interrupt, cool. but I want to know how how do you right, build this here. great list? Like 2,300 people. That's a lot of people. That's a really big universe that you've built in just six months. That's super impressive. Yeah. So I've always posted on my Instagram bylines I've had. So I feel like when I did launch this, I got a lot of signups because I was already building up my independent writing. Social side. Okay. Yeah. So the social side is really important, but also in a way, like I don't jam it down your throat. Like once a week, I'll post it on my story, what the theme is. I'm never like sign up for this. Like I'm all for entrepreneurship, but there's two types of entrepreneurs I see on social media. Ones that let the product speak for itself. And then ones that need their viewers or followers to know every hardship they've gone through to get (laughs) to their final product, which I understand. I've been through that too. But like, I want someone to buy my product or believe in me because of what it is, not what I went through. Right. That shouldn't be a consumer's concern. No, no. But I have done, I did two Facebook campaigns, which go through Instagram as well. 
And I hired my friend who does this professionally. And we really spent a lot of time targeting who the audience is because a huge thing I was nervous about was, yeah, your numbers might grow, but your open rate might really drop. And honestly, it hasn't like at all. And that speaks to that speaks to that smart strategy that got you guys must have put together because that's why I really that's why I'm curious because it's not just 2300 random followers they are engaged followers people that are opening the email that are curious about what you're talking about that is they're high value I'd rather have 25 that open the email every time than to have 2500 and have nobody look at it so it's super impressive to me yeah thank you yeah because my next step is I'm planning to reach out to brands because I want brands to sponsor it almost mm-hmm. in a branded content way. But like the content I cover, like the brands need to fit. They're not just going to be these big brands I see. Like how I bring destinations and these quirky things to people in the newsletter, mm-hmm. I ha- have the same thought with brands. Right. So it's going to be organic. And, you know, if I reach out and send them my media kit and they're like, oh no, these numbers are too small, fine. Like if someone's not going to understand the value of these, like you can't equate subscribers to followers on social media because social media, it's so quick and like insincere. Like 2,300 people want to hear from me in their inbox. Like that is bigger. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, look, just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, Twitter was bought and sold and then maybe who knows what's happening over there. But that's another platform that is just, it's, it's everything is sort of changing and evolving. And you mentioned the algorithm. I have a friend I saw this weekend who follows me on LinkedIn and he said, I haven't seen your podcast. Did you stop recording? And I said, nope, but I got to believe that that's something to do with the algorithm and the way that all works. Because I said, I just, I just dropped three new episodes that, that same day that I saw him. And he was like, I never saw it. Um, so there's that. Like social is a, a part of it, but it can't be the whole enchilada. You have to have a lot of strategies in order to build and, and be smart about it. And I'm glad you said all that. Yeah, because something I definitely want to stress for anyone that is looking to grow newsletter, grow social following is to not depend on social. Use it to promote your stuff. Like if I have brands sponsoring my newsletter, let's say, I would never want to do like a branded partnership post on Instagram because that it's just not genuine to me. I mean, unless there's really a fit, but like I'm building my business not on social media, Mm -hmm. but social media will be used for what it's made for to promote it, to talk about it. Totally get it. So, um, where, where's next? Like where, tell me, cause you're now, now I'm going to live vicariously through you. Like, tell me a couple of what, what trips are you looking forward to in the next couple of weeks and months? So it's funny when I started freelancing more, there honestly were a handful of places that I wanted to go to even before I was a writer. And those trips have sort of came into fruition, like awesome. not on my end, like the destinations would reach out to me. So one of those places, which I've really wanted to go to, is Alaska. So I'm actually going on an Alaskan cruise this summer. Nice. That's yeah, going to be amazing. My mom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's nice because, like, it's just funny how, like, I, I cover a wide range of stuff, right? I'm not, like, one-sided. Mm-hmm. But even though I broke into all this by writing, like, very deep stories on, like, my grandmother and Alzheimer's, like, 
I like to think like if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't get any of this. So like mm. I've really been able to see the world and I've been really thoughtful about where I want to go. Um, I'm going to Iceland for the first time too for the 24-hour sun. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, and St. Lucia. And I've sort of fallen into this like adventure travel, which I'm all for. But yeah, I just got scuba scuba certified in Bonaire. And oh, cool. That was a really great trip. And I think that is a great topic to like further discuss mm-hmm. for my own writing and work because there's so many people that are certified, but then also there are people that aren't and they just see pictures of it and they're like, I don't even know where I would start to get that certification. Yeah. Like people might not even know there is a certification. They might confuse it with snorkeling. Yeah. So like that's where like I love to just come in and talk and like I'm not trying to be better than anyone else. I'm not trying to act more experienced, but like No, you're like unlock really... I feel like you're unlocking it for us. Like how do we, you know, how do we get in on this? Well, James is going to tell us. I love that. Yeah. So that's yeah. Great. And then I'm going to St. Lucia this summer. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, I'm going to be following because now I'm subscribing and I'm going to make sure that for any of my listeners that want to get in on this great newsletter that you're producing every week, I'm going to make sure that I drop a link in the um, description for the for the episode so that they know how to find you and how to get in on this. Um, James, as I uh, as we wrap up our 30 minutes, number one, I can't wait to meet you uh, this week in New York and talk more about all these cool things because I'm going to pick your brain on a dozen of them. Um, But I also I wondered if there was a journalist or um, someone else in um, in the media space that you think might be a good uh, future guest for the podcast? My friend Nina, she freelances a lot for Travel and Leisure. She's written for so many places. She has started a newsletter too. And it's it's really cool because it's different than mine, but it's still travel. Awesome. But like, I'll read hers and be like, that is so cool. Like, that was so smart. I love you know? it. Like, you know, when you just see see an article that's just like so simple and just like, hits mm-hmm. and then um my other friend joe sills he he was just in africa and just like re- like i would look at his instagram story thinking i'm like watching national geographic or something wow. he does a lot of photography in his work mm-hmm. there are individual press trips but then there are group ones too where there's other journalists and people of the media and not only do you get to network like obviously that's not what it's about but as freelancers, this landscape is changing so much. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, okay, you get it. Like we can have these conversations about it and not be like bragging, but being like, okay, so like, what are you doing? Like, how do you go from here? Cause uh, like you always have to help each other out. Cause that's just what you should be doing in yep. this type of world, you know? Absolutely agree. And the cool part about it is that you guys aren't really competing for the breaking news or the break, whatever. Like, in, in fact, if anything, you guys can probably enhance one another's coverage and experience because you're working on completely different planes on your own different, um, your own different, you know, newsletters and other things. I think that's so cool and collaborative and I love it. Yeah. And that, when you say that, that is something that's really important for anyone that wants to like start their own newsletter or something is a thought in my head the whole time, a pressure test is how authentic can I make it to myself? Because Mm -hmm. that's what's going to set you apart. Yeah. Because I'm not like, I know I don't have the most amazing shots. I don't have a $5,000 camera, but I'm going to get people to read my work. Absolutely. 
And I mean, I, it, it's a better, it's better than what we could probably find online. It's real and it's authentic and it's, and it's you. I just love that. James, I, uh, we could go on for another hour and I cannot wait to catch up, but thank you. Thank you so much for doing the show today. Yeah. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I've never been on a podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to be your first. That's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. This was really, really great. And that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.